a time there was an engineer. Choo-choo Charlie was his name, we hear. He had an engine and he sure had fun. He used good and plenty candy to make his train run. Charlie says, love my good and plenty. Charlie says, really rings the bell. Charlie says, love my good and plenty. Don't know any other candy that I love so well. Another public service announcement from Brill Cream. Finally, someone has reinvented the wheel. Hey, uh, you're tuned into the ravings of a clown on Chester Radio. <laughs> Don't argue with the ball. Roger, we'll go. It's as good as done. The complete solution for your home PC. Here I am. Jimmy Pop, and I'm a dumb white guy. I'm a dumb white guy. I'm not old or new, but That's right. middle school, fifth grade, I'm like old junior or new. high. I don't know mofo, y'all peeps. Be I don't know mofo, yo peeps. Be fucking pushy fly. Shattered man, I'm hungry. I'm hungry like planet Pluto, baby. Alright, come on in, have a seat. Make yourself the home. You can call me Cookie. That's right. Roof is on fire, and you know what I say? Let it fucking burn, baby. We don't need no water. Let it go. That's what I'm talking about. Just let it go. Whatever you got going in your life right now, man, just put it aside, man. How big a deal do you think it is? Come on in, have a seat, put your feet up. Head back. Yo, yo. Yo, yo. That's what I'm talking about. All right, that'll do, pig. Good evening and welcome to the Ravings of a Clown this Friday, June the 27th, the year of our Lord, 2008. And thank the Aztecs, it's Friday. And you're listening to the Ravings of a Clown on Jester Radio. Me, moi, I, why, nobody important, no one special, no big deal. Just your old pal, your friend, your servant, your slave, the Jester. Coming to you from a secret location outside your universe, such a show... We have programmed for you this evening, as Grandma Jester would say, including Rare Bird, Squeeze, Dion, Randy Newman, Max Frost and the Troopers, Elton John, Before He Sucked, Super Tramp, and yeah, there's room on the list for your requests, so get them in, lickety-split, 
uh, email them to request at jesterradio.com or head over to the webpage and click on request. Tell us what you want to hear. We'll get it on the air. Like that. Like that. That's how quickly we get it on. As you're typing, you start hearing the opening bars of the song. Hanging in the Jester Radio frat, f- uh, chat flat room, chat chat flat, with Texas Francesco. Why not stop by and say hi to Frank if you have a pair? Six four six five zero two eighty six hundred gets you live on the air with you know who, or you could Skype in by voice or by text. Our Skype name is Jester Radio and AOL Instant Messenger Jester Radio One. Not just the radio, too. That's apparently somebody else. Time now to turn our attention to the headlines from high atop Just Radio Studios in a secret location outside your universe. This is going to make your fucking day. The Taliban, remember these guys? We were going to smoke them out. They've regrouped after their initial fall from power in Afghanistan, and the pace of its attacks is likely to increase this year, according to a Pentagon report that offers a dim view of progress in this nearly seven-year-old war, noting that insurgent violence has climbed. Can you imagine seven years it's gone on? That's like double the length of World War II. And there's no clear goal. Nobody attacked us. Nobody started nothing. There are no uniforms, no generals. No army. It's just a phony baloney war. It's like that war from 1984 where when it was like no longer convenient to be at war with this one country, they just changed all the newspapers and made it look like they were always at war with this other country. It doesn't matter. Just keep them in war. Because war puts people in sacrifice mode. Well, we have to give up liberty. We have to give up freedom. But it's because we got a war. There's this war going on. Special circumstances. When the war's over, we can get back to normal. Of course, the trick is the war to never end the war. And just because it's not even really a war doesn't mean you can't call it a war. Noting that insurgent violence has climbed, the report said that despite U.S. and coalition efforts to capture and kill key, key leaders, the Taliban is likely to maintain or even increase the scope and pace of its terrorist attacks and bombings in 2008. The Taliban, it said, has coalesced into a resilient insurgency. And why not? After being given that fucking virtually unlimited platform, that's how you get financing. You go back to the super bad guys with the money and you say, hey, man, they're all over the newspapers talking about us. Give us some money to fucking plant some bombs. Uh, you know, uh, Richie in Brooklyn correctly points out that World War II <laughs> was six years. But not for us. Didn't start until 42. The report was released today. He's from some other country, so they they think the world includes outside the United States. Never mind him. The report was released today along with a separate plan for the development of Afghan security forces they're the first two comprehensive Pentagon reports to evaluate pro- evaluate progress in Afghanistan. And by the way, good point, Richie. The war was going on for three years before the United States even got into it because 
we put off getting into it until we were attacked. We tried to fucking stay out of it. We only got into it when there was a direct and clear threat on American lives. We didn't go over to Japan and Germany and just fucking randomly pick a fight. Vast problems, corruption, the illegal poppy trade, human rights abuses, and slow progress in reconstruction were detailed, as well as the struggle to train and equip the Afghan army and police. Meanwhile, not a single word. I was talking about tonic to tonic order this afternoon about whatever happened to this fucking 38 cents a gallon gas that we were supposed to get. Not a single word in this almost seven years of what's been going on with the Iraqi gas. They have the second largest, maybe the largest uh, store of oil on the fucking planet. That was going to be one of the benefits of annexing it. What happened? To, where? Who's getting that oil? What's going on with that? And we're arguing at home about whether or not to drill in L.A. The report described a dual terror threat in Afghanistan that includes the Taliban in the south and a more complex adaptive insurgency in the east. So the bad news gets worse. That fragmented insurgency is made up of groups ranging from al-Qaeda and Afghan warlords, such as uh, Gulbuddin Hekmater's uh, racial um, Hezb Islami group, to Pakistani militants like the yaish e Muhammad insurgents will continue to challenge the government in southern and eastern Afghanistan, and they may move to increase their power in the north and west. This is what happens. This is the natural order of things, especially in the world of tribal wars where this has been going on for five millennia. And that is where there's a power vacuum. Some fucking evil cocksucker moves in, calls himself prince, and fucking starts ordering everybody around takes all the oils and starts wiping his fucking ass with $100 bills. The assessment was blunt, uh, bluntly pessimistic as it described efforts to train the army and the police. You've got to be kidding me. Seven years to train the army and the police. We train these fucking kids in six weeks in fucking Fort Bragg and uh, Paris Island. Man, we get them in there. We run them through the program and then we get them on the fucking that's it. Six years to train the army and the police? You got to be kidding me. How long does it? How long does it take? As of March, it said just one army battalion and a headquarters unit could operate independently. One, while twenty-six battalions, fire brigade headquarters, and two corps headquarters units could plan and execute counterinsurgency operations with the support of coalition forces. So they're still not after six and a half years. They're still not ready to go out on their own. They've just been running that country for the past 3,000 years, but they're not ready. What a fucking scam. Meanwhile, the Pentagon is preparing to order roughly 30,000 troops to Iraq early next year in a move that will allow the U.S. to maintain 15 combat brigades in the country through 2009. Nobody even is thinking about bringing them home. The deployments would replace troops currently there, but the decisions could change depending on whether General David Petraeus, the top U.S. commander in Iraq, decides in the fall to further reduce troop levels. Several officials, of course, what he means by in the fall is when there's a new president. Several officials familiar with the deployment spoke on condition of anonymity because the orders have not yet been made public. According to the officials, three active duty Army Brigade combat teams, one Army National Guard Brigade, 
and two Marine regimental combat teams are being notified that they are being sent to Iraq in early 2009. Officials would not release the specific units involved because the soldiers and the Marines and their families have not all been told. The Guard Unit, however, is the 56th Brigade Combat Team, 28th Infantry Division from the Pennsylvania National Guard. Members of that unit, a large brigade with heavily armored uh, striker vehicles, were told last October they should be prepared to deploy in Iraq in early 2009. The order this week is the formal notice that includes more specific time frame. Currently, the final brigade involved in the military buildup of Baghdad last year is pulling out of Iraq. That departure will leave 15 combat brigades there compared to a high of 20 for most of last year. Other smaller units are also there, including troops doing security logistics, air assaults, intelligence and medical aid. These are uh, national guarders. These are not even really people who are trained, you know, to go into war. These are what they call uh, body bag fillers. They just th- throw them over there to stand in the way of the uh, IEDs. They're disposable Americans. And, uh, you know, we've been talking about how angry we are that uh, all these reports, you know, after all these reports, uh, the uh, you know uncovering by the New York Times and the Pentagon's own report that uh, our leaders lied to us and led us into a war in Iraq when our real enemy was hiding in Afghanistan. The guy that we were supposed to smoke out was hiding all along in Afghanistan. Now we find out the fucking Taliban is making a comeback because we've been so fantastically ineffectual there. Oh, yeah, sure. Send some people over to um, Afghanistan. But you know what? While we're invading the fucking Middle East, let's slip some people into Iraq, make up some horse shit about how, you know, they were involved with 9-11. These stupid fucking American hillbillies, they don't know the difference between Afghanistan and Iraq. It's all fucking couscous to them. It's all tahini to them. So... Oh, yeah, but what ever what happened? Then they asked him like a year later, what ever happened to this guy, Osama bin Laden, the guy who planned the whole uh, attack on 9-11? Oh, he's totally irrelevant. He went from being public enemy number one to being completely irrelevant, which is code, which is George Bush speak for can't find him. Barack Obama and Hillary Rodham Clinton saw today to turn the page on their bitter history-making fight for the Democratic presidential nomination, declaring the next chapter is about beating Republican John McCain, choosing a small New Hampshire community aptly named Unity for their first joint appearance since the campaign ended. Obama and Clinton stood on a platform before thousands of cheering, shouting supporters and took turns praising each other and urging party solidarity. She called the nominee in waiting a stand-up guy, and he declared, She rocks. She rocks. He said it twice. And they looked kind of like, you know, uh, like old buds hanging together. He was like, while she was talking, he was like lounging against the railing, you know. They came together. And you know what? The fact that he's like physically fit, quite obviously, uh, is not a bad thing for the president when you need him to snap out of bed at 4 o'clock in the morning. Imagine fucking dragging George's fucking party ass out of bed at 4 o'clock in the morning. He's got to do like two lines before he can even hear what you're saying. They came together in this hamlet where each won 107 votes in January's primary. Body language rivaled 
campaign rhetoric as a tension getter of the day and a pair remain, uh, rendered distant by a marathon campaign acted like teammates, alternately exhorting the rank and file to put any recriminations behind them. Clinton noted that they had stood toe-to-toe against each other in a primary season fight that began almost two years ago and declared the time has come to stand shoulder-to-shoulder against the GOP. They seemed equally determined to regain a White House that their party hasn't seen uh, since her, her husband back in 2001, ending in 2001. Anyone who voted for me and is now considering not voting for Senator John McCain, I strongly urge you to reconsider said Clinton, beseeching her supporters to join with Obama's to create an unstoppable force for change that we can all believe in. There was this um, wacky statistic that came out um, just before the last primary that like 60-something percent of all the Clinton supporters said that if she doesn't become the Democratic nominee, they're going to go to McCain. (laughs) If they can't have Hillary, they just won't fucking tolerate they won't cotton to know uh, obama moments earlier the two snaked their way through some six thousand people who had gathered in a wide open field and overflowed some bleacher seats in this town of 1700 it really looked like it must have been everybody in town was there obama is seeking to become the country's first black president clinton had sought to become the first woman to win the white house the reunification of these campaign rivals wasn't Without its awkward moments, despite the praise and smiles between the two, some in the crowd still sensed a space between them. Their embraces were slightly awkward. Clinton stood with her hands clasped formally in front of her as Obama spoke. Uh, Eileen Quill, a 64-year-old retired teacher from nearby Sunapee, who had supported Clinton, said, I think she's unusually, or rather usually a wonderful public speaker, and so is he, but she looked a little stiff, and the whole thing wasn't entirely comfortable. Man, I tell you, people really like reading into, like, little nuance shit. If she was a little stiff, man, how many different millions of fucking reasons could it be? Why does everybody just have to project their own shit, man? Maybe she had a fucking thumbtack in her shoe. Maybe she had something else going on in her life. Hey, you're listening to the Ravings of a Clown on Jester Radio this Friday, June the 27th, the year of our Lord. 2008, the sound of your footsteps telling me that you're near. Your soft, gentle motion, baby, brings out the need in me that no one can hear except in my midnight confessions. The grassroots starts it off on JR. This one goes out to Texas Frank. Please don't touch that dial. You're listening to the ravings of a clown coming to you from a secret location outside your universe.
that confession when I'm telling the world that I love you. Staggering through the daytime, your image on my mind, passing so close beside you, baby. Sometimes the feelings are so hard to hide, except in my midnight confessions when I tell all the world that I love you. But that little gold ring that you wear on your hand makes me understand there's another before me. You'll never be mine. I'm wasting my time. Who doesn't know how that feels? You're tuned into the ravings of a clown on Jester Radio. Grassroots kicks it off, goes out to Texas. Frank, hanging in the Jester Radio chat room with S. Poe. And Frank, why not stop by and say howdy, howdy. And make sure you have that little uh, price tag still on your your hat. A heroic effort by hundreds of townspeople, volunteers, and National Guardsmen to hold back the Mississippi River failed today, undone by a a burrowing muskrat. And the fact that all the fucking National Guardsmen are in Iraq, remember? The ferry road and dug a hole through the earthen levee in the eastern Missouri community, allowing water to penetrate the flood wall, which failed shortly before dawn. It's so disappointing, said Linda Wilmshire. As she peered through the binoculars at water pouring through a gap that appeared to be 30 feet wide. With all the guns in this country, couldn't we kill a muskrat? But within hours, defiant residents were mounting a new defense. Quickly, you know, but those guns, (laughs) they're too busy with those guns, man. Shooting at fucking targets in their backyard. Shooting at Mr. Pib cans. People don't use guns to, to kill for food. Within hours, defiant residents were mounting a new defense, a quickly constructed four-foot-tall sandbag levee to protect 100 homes in the floodwaters path. We're not quitting. The Army doesn't quit, said National Guard Colonel Michelle Melton. That's why we're here, to try and save these people and not quit. Many of the 720 residents of Winfield and people from nearby communities have spent the last several days helping the National Guard patch one trouble spot after another, Wilmshire operates a horseback riding school and suspended her business so she and her employees could bring in equipment and help save the levy. In the end, their efforts were undone by an animal weighing no more than five pounds. Officials said the muskrat was either seeking food or building a dam when it dug the hole that brought the entire levy down. How bad do I feel? You have no idea, said Travis Tutka, the Army Corps of Engineers dam safety expert who helped coordinate the effort. To save the levee, the challenge we met for so long out here, I can't come up with the words for the feeling. Levee did as well as it did because of the resolve of the people who worked on it. So it failed, so I guess that's how, that's how well it did because of that's how much their resolve was. I guess their resolve didn't include throwing a fucking piece of tarpaulin over the thing when it was gone. The only good news was the location of the breach at the far southern corner of the levee. That meant... Floodwaters would have to cover 3,000 acres before approaching a cluster of homes at the north edge of the floodplain, a process that would probably take several hours. So, phew. There you go. Not so bad. The, the, the mole 
or whatever the fuck it is, the muskrat dug a hole. It was over on the other end, so it'll take a few more hours to kill all those people. Melton was confident the sandbag levy would be up by then with 30,000 sandbags already filled. She figured guardsmen could construct a wall at a pace of about 300 feet per hour, and the wall will be about a half a mile long. The muskrat holes, which had been covered by sandbags, were discovered uh, on Monday. They allowed constant pressure from the river to turn the relatively small private levee to mush. By midweek, mudslides formed. Levee workers who walked atop the beam said it felt like a waterbed. Officials constantly checked for weak spots. At 4 a.m. Uh, today, three cop officials uh, visited the south end of the levee, and it was fine. At 5 a.m., the National Guard members saw the break. Water was already pushing away the sandbags, and it was too late to save the levee. So that's, that's the best they can do, and it held that long because of their commitment. John McCain has an unusual endorsement from the Vietnamese jailer who held him captive for five years as a POW, now considers him a friend. If I were an American voter, I would vote for John McCain, Tran Trong Duyet said today, sitting in his living room in the northern city of Haiphong, surrounded by black and white photos of a much younger version of himself and former Vietnam War prisoners. At the same time, he denies prisoners of war were tortured. Despite detailed POW accounts and physical wounds, Duyet claims the presumed Republican presidential nominee made up beatings and solitary confinement in an attempt to uh, get votes. The statement seemed to echo the communist leadership's overall line on America, insists that the torture claims are fabricated, uh, that the, uh, but Vietnam uh, now considers the U.S. a friend and wants to lay the past to rest. Duyet said one of the reasons he likes McCain for president is that the candidate's willingness to forgive and look into the future. Uh, this guy's 75 years old now. He, he got a little testy during the interview when he was repeatedly questioned about torture and why so many other former POWs say that they, too, were mistreated. He refers to talk about McCain as an old buddy. His photo collection doesn't include one of him with uh, POW McCain, and uh, he said they have not met on any of McCain's post-war visits to Vietnam, but Duyet said he often met the young Navy pilot while off-duty and that McCain would correct his English and had a great sense of humor. <laughs> This guy, this guy should write the uh, copy for this Playboy centerfold. And although they never saw eye to eye on the war that killed some 58,000 Americans and 3 million Vietnamese, he said they listened to each other's views while he was bending his fingernails off. He's tough, has extreme political views, and is very conservative, Duyet said. He's very loyal to the U.S. military, to his beliefs, and to his country. In all of our debates, he never admitted that the war was a mistake. This is what these people... By the way, the war was a colossal mistake. It was another one of these cases where these people were fighting, you know, had this internal fight going on. All of a sudden, you know, some fucking outside people come in. So it was a complete mistake. Not our mistake, but the Vietnamese people's mistake. But uh, the United States' um, mistake was getting involved in something that had nothing to do with us. The the so-called domino theory that if we lost South North Viet South Vietnam to the communist north, that somehow that, you know, eventually would lead to the U.S. Uh, way of life being destroyed. That was the rationale anyway. 
But uh, the so far, the Vietnamese have never admitted to this um, behavior that they exhibited during the war, where they uh, captured and tortured Americans, which they quite obviously did, since there's so much testimony about it. And I, there was a lot of um, interesting books that came out in the years after the Vietnam War. Two of them was um, were um, Dispatches, uh, the first one, which was written by Rod Serling's first cousin. I forget his name offhand. I met him, um, or I met his dad, I guess, at a party one time. And um, I really, really enjoyed the book. It was sort of written as a uh, diary or as letters home from Vietnam. And the other one was Some Kind of Hero, which was made into a great uh, movie with Richard Pryor. And it was about a guy who had spent um, several years in the Hanoi Hilton, the same uh, prisoner war camp we're talking about here. And just the unbelievable things that went on there and the kind of lifestyle that they uh, that the American soldiers kind of developed um, this sort of underground uh, communication system that they had you know built and and games and storytelling things all through sort of like Morse code and notes and very tough. Duyet also talked about prisoner volleyball games and said that the captives were fed the same meals as average wartime Vietnamese in Hanoi. Same propaganda is depicted in photos of smiling American POWs displayed at the Hallow Prison, now a museum for tourists. McCain spent five and a half years behind bars in Hanoi. His flight suit and parachute were recently added to the museum display, which includes a recording of bombs falling and air raid, air raid sirens shrieking. McCain still bears the evidence of his wounds and has described being repeatedly bound and beaten by his captors after his plane was hit by a surface-to-air missile during a bombing mission over Hanoi in 1967, McCain ejected, suffered a broken leg, two broken arms, and was briefly knocked unconscious. <laughs> Tough motherfucker. Two broken arms, broken leg, and he, oh, he, he was out you know, for a, mi a couple of minutes. Vietnamese mob who found him smashed his shoulders, and he was bayoneted. He says medical attention was delayed in an attempt to get him to reveal information and he was held in solitary confinement for over two years. And now this is exactly the kind of thing that the U.S. does with its prisoners. They're liars. What they say is not true, said Duyet, who was a jailer at Hallow from 1968 until the POW release in 73, serving as prison chief for those last three years. Duyet claimed McCain invented that story that he was tortured and beaten to win votes. Apparently, <laughs> when he just got out of the army... And he started telling that story. It was an anticipation of needing future votes, I guess. And I guess that's why all those other people lied. For him to say that no one was tortured, he's a damn liar. And the history books in the aftermath of Vietnam were replete with stories of what prisoners went through. I've got friends that died up there from torture. This is from um, Orson Swindle, a retired Marine lieutenant colonel who was uh, um, McCain's cell buddy. Uh, he said Duyet has no credibility on every utterance he makes. He says John McCain would make a great president. What the hell does he know? He's got no credibility. McCain has returned to Vietnam several times and visited what's left of the old prison, whose pilot section has now been replaced by a gleaming high-rise of office apartments and shops. McCain was instrumental in pushing for not normal relations between the two former foes, and the friendship was highlighted by Prime Minister 
Win Tan Dung's trip to see uh, President Bush at the White House uh, just this uh, past Wednesday. They made up the whole thing for votes. We never tortured nobody. Why would we torture people? We gave them all the same food. A former Army scientist who was named as a person of interest in the 2001 anthrax attacks will get $5.8 million to settle his lawsuit against the Justice Department. This guy, Stephen Hatfill, has been going around saying the Justice Department violated his privacy rights because they leaked this story to the press. They accused him or they mentioned in the press that he was a person of interest because he was working, you know, in a lab that where he had access to anthrax. I don't know how many folks remember in those weeks following the 9-11 attacks, there was a shitload of uh, anthrax going around. Uh, everybody was afraid of, you know, getting letters with white powder in it. Settlement documents were filed in court, uh, in federal court today. Both sides have agreed to the deal, according to this document. And as soon as they're signed, the case will be dismissed. The deal requires the Justice Department to pay $2.825 million up front um, and then uh, give him a $3 million annuity that'll pay him one hundred and fifty grand each year for 20 years. Our government failed us not only by failing to catch the anthrax mailers, but by seeking to conceal that failure, Hatfield's lawyer said in a statement. Our government did this by leaking gossip, speculation, and misinformation to a handful of credulous reporters. No, just another day on the hill, from what I hear. It's Van the Man on JR. Please, I'm begging you. Don't fuck with that dial.
God 
Good man to go down. Rich man can ride, but the hobo, he can drown. And I thank the Lord for the people I have found. I thank the Lord for the people I have found. While Mona Lisa's and Mad Hatter's sons of bankers, sons of lawyers turn around and say good morning to the night. For unless they see the sky, but they can't. And that is why they know not if it's dark outside or light. Elton John, before he sucked on Jest Radio, great song about New York, uh, as uh, Richie from Brooklyn says, uh, that only a homo from England could write, <laughs> or a pair of homos in that case. Um, who started that? 
that there was something good before that. You're listening to the Ravings of a Clown on Friday, June the 27th, hanging with Lulu and Espo and Texas Frank in the Jest Radio Tet chat room, and they're all saying the same thing. Where the fuck are you? Pussy! <clears throat> Excuse me. Homo! Sorry. Um, but seriously, if you don't have a pair, that's perfectly understandable. We don't, we don't want you there. But if you feel like stopping by and saying hi, just head over to JustRadio.com, click on chat, and follow the simple instructions from there. A millionaire convicted of helping his wife uh, to keep two Indonesian housekeepers as slaves was sentenced today to more than three years in prison, uh, ending a trial that shed light on the often little-seen exploitation and abuse of domestic workers. Apparently, these people... Um, you know they're they're from other countries. This the guy is like from I guess uh, India, and his wife is from Indonesia. And apparently the standard for domestic workers over their country, even still, slavery is slavery. Whatever country you're in, it's always wrong. You know I always get at this argument with people about how. Uh, you know, brutal and disgusting the Old Testament is, and they go, oh, yeah, but all that was fixed and cleaned up in the New Testament. You know, the times were different uh, then. It was different standard of living, you know, and I don't know in any what era it would be okay to keep people as slaves. It's got to be just as torturesome 5,000 years ago as it is today. And by any standard, it's immoral and inhuman and horrific. So even if... It's the way they do it in their sick-ass fucking country. It's still a sick thing to do. International perfume maker Mahender Sabani, who's 51 years old, was sentenced to a paltry three and a half years, and he was fined $12,500. Millionaire. He was convicted in December, three and a half years, man, for fucking beating and keeping people prisoner in your home. He was convicted in December on a 12-count federal indictment that included forced labor, conspiracy, involuntary servitude, and harboring aliens. <laughs> on top of all that, they were illegal. The victims testified that they were beaten with brooms and umbrellas, slashed with knives, forced to climb stairs and take cold showers for misdeeds, which included sleeping late or stealing food from the trash because they were poorly fed. Uh, yesterday, um, he, uh, th this guy Sabani tearfully watched as his wife Varsha was sentenced to 11 years in prison. She was apparently the taskmaster. She's the one that, you know, fucking cracked the whip. Today, she dabbed her eyes as she saw her husband meet his fate. Prosecutors contended Varsha Sabani was primarily responsible for flick inflicting years of abuse on these poorly educated servants. Her husband... They said allowed the conduct to take place and benefited from the work that the women performed in their $2 million Long Island home. He operated his perfume business from an office next door. The mister didn't know about it. The mister was nice. The mister didn't hear. The mister didn't shout, said defense attorney Stephen Scarring, recounting the victim's testimony uh, while arguing for home confinement instead of prisoner. He was the master countered prosecutor Mark Lesko by holding slaves, Mahendra Sabani violated every notion of freedom that we enjoy in America. He had to know what was going on under his roof, and he needs to be pro uh, punished, the prosecutor said. Judge Arthur Spatz said that although Mahendra Sabani uh, did not personally inflict abuse, he must have been aware of it. 
He's a success story. The immigrant who came to this country and succeeded in business, he had to know all these dreadful things, and he did nothing, the judge said. Husband's originally from India. The wife is from Indonesia. Both are naturalized U.S. citizens. One of the workers arrived in their uh, Muttentown home in 2002. The second came along in 2005. If only she had fucking some way of getting word out. The Sabanis immediately confiscated their passports and other travel documents. Uh, they punished, uh, punishment escalated into a cruel form of torture uh, until uh, May 07 when one of the women fled uh, early on Mother's Day. She wandered into a Dunkin' Donuts wearing nothing but rags, and uh, they called the coppers. The husband pleaded for freedom in his own, sentence, uh, in his own sent- sentencing, saying the couple's four children wonder, who's going to help us? What can we do uh, on our own? Every day I look at fear in their eyes. So I guess these are things he might have thought about while he was fucking whipping his employees. The grown children sat stoically in the front row as he spoke. This is a case that's been devastating to this family, said Scarring, the defense attorney. They're mocked, they're ridiculed, they're laughed at. By the way, you know, I've heard this tactic before. They use this in um, the sentencing phase. The defense attorney, you know, tries to like sort of paint this picture like they're being punished enough. I mean, sure, he enslaved and tortured these fucking people, but he's being mocked. So don't send him to jail. Mahandra Sabani was allowed to remain free on $4.5 million bail with 24-hour security monitoring until he surrenders on October 3rd. Varsha Sabani's bail was revoked immediately in December. A hearing on whether the couple must forfeit their home was postponed until July 11th. Spat will also decide on how much the women are owed in restitution for back wages. Get this. While they were working for these fucking lunatics, they were their relatives back in Indonesia were sent $100 a month. These actual women got no pay whatsoever. $100 a month for working, uh, you know, God knows how, what, 40-hour week, 60-hour week, 80-hour week? I wouldn't be a bit surprised. Prosecutors suggest the women are due more than $1.1 million, including overtime. But the defense attorney says it should be much lower. <laughs> They're still nickel and diming, these fucking people. You would think they would just say, yes, yes, $1.1 million. Holy crap, pay them. Their house is worth $2 million. As salmonella cases continue to climb, you know, we do these fucking stories, man. You know, every few months, the stories. We hear about these people are keeping other people prisoner. Apparently, there's something going on in human nature where we, like, you know, can somehow rationalize this absolute horrific treatment that we do to each other, and we just do it, like, in this mass conspiracy. So it sort of seems like it's okay. We watch trainfuls of Jews going to, you know, death camps, and we just sort of, you know, look away. We, we, we become numb to it. And then the very worst of us are actually perpetrating it. They're people who are driving those fucking trains, people rounding up them Jews. So we got really like a whole range of fucking people that makes, uh, you know, it it takes to create, you know, a perfect storm of um, ignorance, poverty, and evil thrown together. These are not people who sort of got, you know, out of hand with their power. These women walked in the door and they snapped up their fucking passports and travel documents. Let's go. Let's have it. Let's go. They knew they were running a fucking prison there.
They meant for it to be that way. You're listening to the Ravings of a Clown this Friday, June 27th. It's live Jester on JR. Please don't fuck with that dial. They sat together in the park As the evening sky got dark She looked at him and he felt a spark Tingle to his bones T'was then he felt alone And wished he'd gone straight And watched out For a simple twist of fate They walked along by the old canal Little confused, I remember well Then stopped into a strange hotel With a neon burning bright He felt the heat of the night Hit him like a freight train Moving with a simple twist of fate A saxophone someplace softly played As she was walking on by the arcade She heard the melody rise and fade The sun was coming up She dropped a coin into the cup Of a blind man at the gate And forgot about A simple twist of fate He woke up, she was gone He didn't see nothing but the dawn He got out of bed and put his clothes back on Pushed back the blinds Found a note she'd left behind To which he just could not relate All about a simple twist of fate He hears the ticking of the clocks And walks alone through the city blocks Hunts her down by the waterfront docks Where the sailors are rolling Maybe he'll spot her once again How long must he wait One more time For a simple twist of fate People tell me it's a crime To know too much for too long a time She should have caught me in my prime She would have stayed with me Instead of going off to sea And leaving me to meditate Upon that simple twist of fate
Gun control. Now, I don't want to get off in a rant here, but I think it's time we call to cease fire in the debate over gun control. The police have powerful weapons, and the criminals have powerful weapons, and you and I are left with eight deadbolts, a $900 a month cable bill, and we've been reduced to asking the pizza boy as he slips the Bigfoot under the door, hey, have the leaves turned out there yet? Americans are more armed than the octopus at the Chernobyl Aquarium, and yet you talk gun control with anybody from the NRA and they go to the Constitution faster than Saturday Night Live cast members go to their cue cards. Listen, the men who wrote the Constitution meant it as a guideline for the law, much like when Martha Stewart bakes botanically correct Concord grape leaves for the tops of her pie crust. You can't really go by what she says, don't you see? You'll end up like her. Yeah, the Founding Fathers said we had a right to bear arms. They also said we had a right to own other human beings. Now, thankfully, we've moved on from that soupçon of divine enlightenment, and it's about time we start taking the white out to other parts of the Constitution. I mean, come on, it's over 200 years old, and we don't usually pay attention to anything that ancient. If we did, American life would be summed up in three words, President Bob Dole. You know, when the Constitution was written, guns were an essential tool for survival. Now, granted, several of our founding fathers were probably in the dementia stage of syphilis at that constitutional rewrite session, but surely they didn't mean that this right to bear arms takes precedent over living in an orderly and safe society. We needed an armed, well-regulated militia at the time of our country's breach of contract birth because we just stole it from the Brits and there was a good chance that that little bald guy from Benny Hill and a whole shitload of snaggletooth redcoats were coming over the hill any day on the HMS Richard Branson to get it back. But nowadays, a citizen militia has become about as necessary as bodyguards for Peter Frampton. You know, guns are part of this country's DNA. They're inextricably woven into the fabric of our psyche. America was founded by rebels, liberated by guerrillas, and settled in no small part by outlaws. Now piggyback onto that lineage, an unhealthy Bob Dornan-like mistrust of the unfamiliar, fold in a heaping helping of paranoia helper, and you conclude, my friends, that this country is overflowing with enough leavening agents to create an uprising that is going to make Mount St. Helens seem like Vendela fake-smoking a cohiba on the cover of Cigar Aficionado. Now, obviously, we can't ban all guns because many of them are used for the recreational sport of hunting. And people have to hunt because it's a simple fact that deer have to die. They have to be taken out because if they aren't, they're just going to keep dashing through the forest, frolicking in the fields, and nibbling the leaves and berries off trees and bushes. I mean, come on! Bambi is begging for it. The deer might as well just refuse to sell their casino to the Corleone family. So what are the solutions? One recent plan is the gun for toys or gun for concert tickets exchanges. Recently, I saw a promotion where for each gun you handed in, you got two tickets to an L.A. Clippers game. Now, that doesn't work out too well because after watching the Clippers, you want to kill yourself and you don't have a gun. It is literally an O. Henry story waiting to be written. New York City tried information installing the nation's first death clock in Times Square. This large lighted sign would count handgun deaths in this country like a McDonald's sign counts hamburger sales. It didn't work because there were people in Times Square who would shoot you just to watch the damn sign change. Then they'd ask a cop to initial their score. Okay, so information isn't working, giveaways aren't working, and we all agree it's fantasy land to believe that we can get rid of all guns. 
but I think that any right-minded individual would agree that we should make guns harder to get than an eight o'clock table at Morton's on Monday night. And what are the specifics of making it harder? Well, first off, let's light a fire under the pale, pasty, white, cellulite-ridden asses of those asses down in Washington, D.C. You want gun control?
Chupa Tramp on Jester Radio. That one goes out to Richie in Brooklyn. Back when he uh, snuck into the United States after tricking the Hungarian government into thinking he was coming back. <laughs> he got here and he discovered this um, album. He didn't understand too much English at the time, but he did know the word America. And the name of the album was Breakfast in America and had very cool artwork on the cover. It had like this New York diner waitress holding up the blue plate special out in the um, in the New York Harbor where the Statue of Liberty should be. And it had all these great tunes on it. So there's one for you, bud. Um, he just recently broke up with his girlfriend. He's got this tendency to fall in love with these um, bipolar chicks, but he meets them in the um, manic phase when they're like happy and full of energy and then like along comes like and one day they turn around and he goes hi honey would you like some or he does it with his funky Romanian accent whatever he does he says uh, Can, would you like some uh, orange juice or something and she goes <laughs> and, he's, and he's surprised every time and he just can't figure it out so that one goes out uh, come on you little fighter there's no need to get up tighter. <laughs> That's not the line I was thinking of. But uh, get back up again. That's what I was saying. So go, go, get up, go out, get a blowjob, and but crying out loud, man. Uh, Dennis Miller before that, and the gun control bit. That one goes out to Texas. Frank Bob Dylan started that set with a simple twist of fate, the um, live version from the Rolling Thunder Review Tour in 75, which I saw on all three nights that it was in New York and was uh, brilliant. And that moment on stage with uh, Dylan, you know, solo acoustic, you know, people hadn't seen that for a while. And that was just a perfect tune to uh, sort of update his act. And I really love that 1975 um Dylan, you know, he had been back for, you know, a couple of years, and that was the second album after, um, not Desire, but the one before that with his painting on the cover. And uh, he was just sort of very sort of energetic, came out on stage with this, like, funky face makeup and shit. And he had a great band. He had that chick, uh, Scarlett Rivera, who played the violin on the uh, Desire album. Hey, you're listening to the Ravings of a Clown on Jester Radio. It's Friday, June the 27th, as salmonella cases continue to climb. The government is checking if tainted tomatoes really are to blame for the record outbreak or if the problem is with another ingredient or a warehouse that's contaminating newly harvested tomatoes. Widening outbreak with 810 people confirmed ill means whatever's making these people sick could very well still be on the market, according to federal officials. In uh, their uh, warning today, tomatoes remain the top suspect, and the advice on which ones consumers should avoid hasn't changed. Uh, stressed the Food and Drug Administration food safety chief, Dr. David Aikson. However, he said it's possible that tomatoes being harvested in states considered safe could be picking up salmonella germs in packing sheds, warehouses, or other facilities currently under investigation. Most worrisome. The latest victim became sick on June 15th, long after the outbreak began on April 10th and weeks after government warnings stripped supermarkets and restaurants of many of the tomatoes. The source of contamination has been ongoing 
at least through early June, and we don't have any evidence that uh, whatever the source is, it's been removed from the market, said Patricia Griffin of the Centers for Disease uh, Control and Prevention. Disease detectives at the CDC in Atlanta are double-checking their own probes just in case some other type of produce is really the culprit. We have uh, also kept an open mind about other possibilities and are looking into other ingredients, Griffin said. So looks like the fucking FDA is on the ball. Seems like every time there's a scare, man, they're all over it like white on rice. So say what you will about those other government agencies, man. That FDA um, is always jumping on these things. And how do I know? I feel great. So apparently you can say what you will about them. I know a lot of people complain that they, uh, you know, that they create an impossible environment for, you know, drugs to hit the market unless they cost billions of dollars and it fucks up the whole healthcare uh, economy. But uh, say what you will about that. Uh, but they're all over the, the lettuce and tomato deal because I eat veggies all the time and I feel fine. And I know, you know, left up to those filthy fucking hog farmers, uh, they'd let anything get through. So somebody's fucking protecting you. A Michigan man was sentenced to 43 years in prison today for driving the wrong way on an interstate and slamming his pickup truck into a minivan, killing a Maryland mother and four children who were returning home from a Christmas trip. Michael Gagnon of Adrian, Michigan, had a blood alcohol level more than twice the legal limit and marijuana in his system. Lucas County Judge Linda Jennings called Gagnon a dangerous person. You have a drinking problem, and you don't even know it, she said. Gagnon, who's 24, has pleaded no contest to five counts of aggravated vehicular homicide and two counts of of, uh, aggravated vehicular assault, um, in my mind and spirit, I will be serving a life sentence for the pain I've caused, he said today in court. Again, you know, trying to convince the judge, you know, I, I'm suffering enough. I've got the pain in my heart, after all. Uh, he was reading from a handwritten statement. He won't be eligible for release until he reaches his mid-60s. He's 24 years old. What a fucking waste of life. He was drinking with his family at a bar on December 30th to celebrate the New Year when he went out for fast food and took a wrong turn onto Interstate 280 in Toledo, he drove about four miles in the wrong direction and just missed several other cars before his truck hit the minivan filled with six children and a husband and wife who had spent Christmas with family in Michigan. Minivan was rounding a curve when the truck came directly at the family. Both drivers tried to avoid each other, but the crash ripped open one side of the van, hurting some of the victims, or rather hurling, Some of the victims into the road, scattering toys, stuffed animals, and bits of gift wrapping. Bethany Griffin, 36, of Parkville, Maryland, and three of her daughters, Vadi Griffin, two months old, Lacey Berkman, seven years old, and Haley Berkman, who was 10, died in the crash, along with Jordan Griffin, 10, the daughter of Bethany Griffin's husband, Danny Griffin Jr., 36. Danny, who was driving the van, was injured. He told the court that his life will never be the same. He no longer comes home to a house filled with children and a smiling wife. He said he misses helping them kids with their homework and tucking them into bed at night. He said, I know my life isn't over, but a large part of it is missing. And, um, you know, I you know, just feel absolutely devastated. You know, the world is a dangerous place. Um... And when something, you know, bad happens to people, it's just 
uh, awful. And um, we always, you know, sort of jump on it and say, you know, the, the, this is my point about getting drunk drivers off the road. Um, you know, I've long talked about uh, people having to be responsible for themselves and the government not being your mommy and your daddy. These people we go after anyway. Why are we stopping people in the street? Um, why are we putting up speed limit signs when... When somebody does something wrong, we prosecute them anyway. Um, instead, with these phony baloney laws, we create an environment where everybody in America is an outlaw. We all choose the laws that we want to adhere to because we know some of them are stupid. You're alone on a fucking highway uh, you know, where there's a school tomorrow morning, but it's 3 o'clock in the morning and there's a 25-mile-an-hour sign, and the only other person out there is a cop trying to catch you going 26. It's stupid. If instead we got rid of all the traffic signs, but instead we just put everybody in jail that drove unsafely, and we can quantify that without the number. The number is a prediction. It's society's way of saying, we know that if you're going over this speed, it's not safe. What I'm saying is, if it's really not safe, then that individual should come to that determination on their own. When you get on the highway, you drive at a speed that you feel comfortable with, that you feel safe at. You don't just drive up to the fucking speed limit and not one notch over. If you think that doing five miles over the speed limit or ten miles over the speed limit is good for you, you fucking do it, and you know it. We all do. So I say, let's get rid of the traffic uh, signs. I say, let's get rid of the uh, blood alcohol level. All these predictive laws that say that if you're doing this, you must automatically, by definition, not be responsible and not able to be responsible for your actions. Instead, let's just put all the burden back on the individual. So we don't have this phony baloney cat and mouse game where these people are out on the street getting their blood alcohol level, and if it's one point less, what do they do? Let him go? What if he's still not safe? Why'd they pull him over to begin with if they were going to let him go? You're listening to the Ravings of a Clown on Jester Radio this Friday, June 27th, 646-502-8600. Got something to say about it? Well, give us a call. Put you on the air. It's the Highwayman on J Highwaymen on JR. Please don't fuck with that dial. I'd play the Red River Valley, and he'd sit out in the kitchen and cry, and run his fingers through seventy. Years of living I wonder Lord as ever Will I drill run dry We were friends Me and this old man Like Desperados Waiting for a train Like Desperados Waiting for a train Here's a drifter and a driller of oil wells And an old school man of the world He let me drive his car 
when he's too drunk to And he'd wink and give me money for the girls And our lives were like some old western movie Like desperados From the time that I could walk, he'd take me with him To a bar called the Green Frog Cafe And there were old men with beer guts and dominoes Lying about their lives while they'd play They called his sidekick Like desperados waiting for a train Like desperados waiting for a train One day I looked up and he's pushing 80 And there's brown tobacco stains all down his chin to me, he's one of the heroes of this country. So why is he all dressed up like them old men? Drinking beer and playing moon and 42. Like desperados waiting for a train. Before he died, I went to see him I was grown and he was almost gone So we just closed our eyes and dreamed us up a kitchen And sang another verse to that old song Come on, Jack, that son of a gun's a coming like desperados waiting for a train Like desperados waiting for a train Like desperados waiting for a train Like desperados waiting for a train
bells they told for a song But nothing can change the shape of things to come She's coming in now Sweet and strong And now I'm gonna hold it back for long There are new dreams Crowding our old realities There's revolution Like a fresh new breeze Let the old world make believe Find the But nothing can change the shape of things 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 to come Death knew not why For if the children of Israel Were supposed to multiply Why must any of the children die So he asked the Lord And the Lord said Man means nothing He means less to me Than the lowliest cactus flower The humblest yucca tree Chases round this desert Cause he thinks that's where I'll be That's why I love mankind I recall in horror From the fineness of thee From the squalor in the filth In the misery How we laugh up here in heaven The prayers you offer me That's why I love mankind Christians and the Jews We have the jamboree The Buddhists and the Hindus Join on satellite TV Pick the four greatest priests And they began to speak Say, Lord, the plague is on the world Lord, no man is free Temples that we built in Tumbling to the sea Lord, if you won't take care of us Won't you please, please let us be And the Lord said And the Lord said I burned down your cities How blind you must be I take from you your children And you say 
How blessed are we You all must be crazy Put your faith in me That's why I love mankind You really need me That's why I love mankind Christians and the Jews were having a jamboree, as they do. Buddhists and the Hindus uh, joined up on satellite TV. They picked their four greatest priests, and they began to speak. They said, Lord, the plague is on the world. Lord, no man is free. The temples that we built to you have tumbled into the sea. Lord... If you won't take care of us, would you at least please just let us be? And the Lord said, I burn down your cities. How blind you must be. I take from you your children, and you say, how blessed are we. You must all be crazy to put your faith in me. That's why I love mankind. You really need me. Because if there is a God, he must be the most jealous, petty-ass fucking scumbag that ever fucking was in the history of the universe. I got a little puzzler for you. The Lord, Supposedly, you know, God makes people, but they make their own free will. They make their choices. But if God knows that they're going to choose evil... And why does he bother to bring, I mean, and you can't say he doesn't know because he knows everything, future and the past. So if he knows even before this guy is born that he's going to grow up and become a serial killer, make those bad choices, uh, why does he, uh, if he knows he's going to grow up and become a Hitler, uh, then why does he even bring that guy into the world? Why? What's behind that choice? Knowing that, oh, yes, although it's free will, he knows what his free will will be. Why doesn't he just filter out those those people and just, you know, allow the, the good ones that are going to make the good decisions? He can zoom ahead in his little godly uh, crystal ball. That's what I don't understand. It's a mystery. Max Frost and the Troopers before that, of course, they were the uh, fictional uh, rock group from the uh, 1968 uh, Teen exploitation uh, movie Wild in the Streets, where they gathered up all the people over thirty and put them in like concentration camps, where they forced them <laughs> to take LSD and wear these like ridiculous togas and shit. But it was a great movie, and I was mesmerized by it uh, when I was a little kid. It was really just a studio band, um, and some of the incidental music was written by Cynthia Weil and Barry Mann and uh, Le uh, Les Baxter, but the, these um, tunes that came out of this um, movie, you know, like Shape of Things to Come and, and 14 or Fight, these really good rock tunes that were kind of almost like parodies of protest tunes were um, Paul uh, Weber, who also actually sang the the lead. It wasn't Christopher Jones, Christopher Jones was the star of the movie. He played Max Frost, who was a rock star who was running for president. 
and uh, he was sort of running on this campaign that uh, people should be allowed to vote if they're 14 um, and uh, that people, all drugs should be legal and all this great shit. And they picked this guy who was doing the, uh, you know, Legend of Jesse James TV show at the time. He was just like this little chiseled fucking kid and uh, was perfect. Sort of looked like Jimmy Dean a little bit. And uh, he had his own like little wacky story. He had a lot of fame from this movie, which was not a big hit. And he just um, did, um, you know, like the, the Three in the Attic with uh, Yvette Mimio after that. And he became good friends with Sharon Tate, you know, Roman Polanski's wife, who, of course, was killed by the Manson family. And, and he, he was cast in Ryan's Daughter, which was like a big nightmare for him. And it was constantly battling it out with the director, David Lean, and the production took twice as long as it was supposed to. And that plus Sharon Death getting, you know, stabbed to death with, by the way, the rumors were with his kid in her belly. Uh, as you remember that the squeaky from said, I don't care about you or your baby, bitch, and stabbed her and her baby. Um, he just quit the fucking showbiz. This has been living off his uh, earnings since, uh, since 1969. So, uh, but it was a good movie and it was um, sort of had that, uh, even though it was almost like a parody of the generation gap, I sort of saw it from, you know, from my side of that gap. And it was great for me, and the songs were good. You're listening to the ravings of a clown on Jest Radio this Friday, June 27th, hanging in the Jest Radio chat room with Texas Francesco Lulu. Uh, Lulu. S. Poe, why not stop by and say hi? 646-502-8600. 646-502-8600 gets you live on the air with your old pal, the Jester. You know this guy, uh, Vern Troyer? He's the mini-me from all those... Um, uh, movies, those Mike Meyer movies. Well, he's um, suing uh, TMZ.com and a uh, porno distributor seeking the return of a sex tape that he says was stolen and he wants more than $20 million in damages. Uh, the lawsuit filed yesterday in U.S. District Court in L.A. says the tape um, he, that, that he made with a former girlfriend was stolen months ago. So uh, we happened to um, catch a couple of snippets Texas Frank uh, pointed us to yesterday, and we saw some additional snippets today. And let me tell you, man, you know, you can g gouge out your eyes, but you just can't gouge out your mind's eye. You understand what I'm trying to say? It's a brutal thing. So if somebody, like, offers for you to, uh, you know, check out this thing. And if it's got the mini-me thing in it, just please, man, stay away. I'm begging you. Uh, meanwhile, some guy in Davenport, Iowa, uh, who tried to pay a $100 bond in dirty money is now going to spend a week in jail for contempt of court. A Scott County judge sent the man to jail yesterday. He was arrested back in May for driving a truck with a defective tire. They put him in jail for driving a truck with a defective tire. And why not? Because we live in this day and age where it's legal to sweep people up off the street, secrete them away to some friendly but, you know, third world country 
where they tie their nuts to a car battery. So, of course, you know, the local police feel that that's, you know, that having a defective tire is a hanging offense. Instead of paying the fine, he opted for a trial, and the judge required him to post bond. So yesterday he (laughs) fucking hauls in a box of crumbled shitty money and a box of pennies. Uh, Clerk uh, of court Julie Carlin said there were bugs in the box and the pennies were covered in an unknown substance. Oh! And they used rubber gloves to to count the cash. The clerk's office doesn't accept more than $3 in pennies. Carlin said the man wanted him to take $97 in bills and the rest in pennies. Carlin said Judge Christine Dalton found the man in contempt of court and told the bailiff, arrest that man. Because only a judge can find you guilty without a trial. Somehow they have this magic power. They can say, you know what? You've disrespected the court in the jail. There's a <laughs> That's a flaw in the system, don't you think? Where we're like proud about this whole due process thing. And then we give this power to this lunatic sitting behind a big-ass desk, you know, six feet above everybody else. Oh, by the way, uh, yeah, the rule is completely off. If they're in your courtroom, then any time you want, you can just throw them in jail and throw away the key. That's your, you know, like your little privilege. A spot of tea landed in South, Flo- in a South uh, Florida man in a spot of trouble with state prosecutors Jerome Klein is now free while he waits trial on a burglary charge. Authorities jailed him. In April, for violating bond after failing a drug test, prosecutors didn't believe Klein's claim that a Bolivian herbal tea that his mother served him had caused him to test positive for cocaine. The tea, called Mate de Coca, is made from the coca plant. Klein has no criminal history aside from the burglary allegations and has never been arrested on drug charges. Circuit Judge John Murphy the third freed Klein from the Broward County Jail today. Klein's mother says she gave her 50-year-old son the tea because he wasn't feeling well. And she says she won't use the tea anymore. You imagine. The guy is thrown in fucking jail. And he's fucking... And uh, they're, uh, they're, they're taking drug tests on him. And why is that? Because... Because they can. Because drugs are illegal, too. And people, after all, who are in jail, we're likely to get a positive drug reading on them. And who are they to have the fucking nerve to take drugs while they're out on bail for something else? It's just, it's crazy. We just have absolutely no personal freedom, no personal liberty. As far as I'm concerned, I should be able to fucking drink Drano from the can if I damn well please. Who the fuck is the government to tell me what to put in my body? How the hell did how the hell did that happen? Sometimes I really I wake up in the middle of the night and I think we have this fucking government of the people by the people. They tell us how fucking fast we can drive. They tell us what we can put in our own bodies. What do you, what do you say to this, Poe? Hey, I'm uh, You're staying I'm another week? You're talking about You're staying I don't a- know what you're talking about, T. Uh, I'm just saying they're testing. This guy was in jail for burglary. He's never been arrested for drugs, but they're still testing him every day for drugs. And then they find, because the guy's he's 50 years old, the guy's mother gives him fucking tea, which causes his urine to look like cocaine, and now he's fucking getting arrested for that. Fucking tea. 
Hey, I got to play Stump the uh, Jester. Whip it on me, son. I have a feeling you won't know any of these words. I hear you. The song is called Ball of Confusion. Oh, my God. Well, there's a lot of words in that song, isn't there? There are. Can you even... I, I'm always impressed when you get the first couple. It's the hard. It really is the hardest part, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's fun, or I could do it. I could do it. You know, I have to like put myself uh, in the. I got to listen to the first couple of bars. People, people moving, people moving out, people moving in. Uh, why? Wow. Because the color of their skin. Uh, run, but you can't hide. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Vote for me, and I'll set you free. Something like that, right? Yeah, keep going. Uh, rap on, brother. Rap on, rap on. brother. Rap on. <laughs> uh, the only people talking about the love thy brother is uh, the preacher. Uh, nobody's interested in learning but the teacher. This is a good part. This is a good part. Segregation, demonstration, integration, humiliation... Determination, determination, obligation determination, to our nation, ball of confusion. All right, that's all I could do. Uh, you have to do the last part where it says, uh, great. And the band played on. What was the all best? Right. Oh, yeah, great Googamooga. <laughs> that's <laughs> right. Can't you hear me talking, saying ball of confusion, great Googamooga. All right, well, thanks for that. I appreciate hey. it. I'll bone up on my... Uh, Ball of confusion. S. Poe calling in six four six five zero two eighty six hundred. Gets you live on the air with uh, your old pal Jester. Give us a call. Don't be afraid. This is not one of these um, phone numbers like in Bermuda where you call and it's like nineteen dollars a minute or something. It's just like a regular downtown New York uh, phone call, which is probably free on your celly right now, or you can Skype in at Jester Radio. Um, this Friday, June 27, the year of our Lord, 2008. It's Dion DeMooch on JR. Please don't fuck with that dial. People call me the scandalizer. The world was my appetizer. I turned gangs into fertilizer. King of the New York streets. Start your nails and chains To my kingdom I proclaim King of the New York street You walk tall with sand See my rock. 
crown Always object, never down King of the New York Street Check it out Schools gave me nothing needed To my throne I proceeded Every warning went unheeded With King of the New York Street We walked off
the car park, the airport, the baggage carousel. People keep on grabbing. Ain't wishing I was well. I said it's no occasion, it's no story. I can tell. At my bedside, empty pocket, foot without a sock. Your body gets much closer. I fumble for the clock, alarmed by the seduction. I wish that it would stop. Tempted by the fruit of another. Tempted, but the truth is discovered. What's been going on? Now that you have gone, there's no other. Squeeze. On Jester Radio, Dion DeMooch. Before that, King of the New York Streets. Each time I jump behind the wheel of uh, Pinstripe Custom Oldsmobile, the guys would bow, chicks would squeal. King of the New York streets, local bullies I deflated. Backstreet jive I translated. Top ten girls were all I dated. King of the New York streets. I didn't need no bodyguard. I just ruled from my backyard, living fast living hard talking about those days post uh, belmont uh, uh the uh, dion and the belmonts when he was um when he was addicted to coke pre uh, rehab for dion i awoke one day and realized you know this attitude comes from cocaine lies you're listening to the Ravings of a Clown on Jester Radio. This Friday, June the 27th, Bob the Engineer has asked me to remind you that if you've missed any portion of this evening's cast, it will be recast at 2 a.m. and 2 p.m. following, or you could check out the podcast and take it with. Uh, also, stop by the Jester Radio homepage and hit that donate button. Just keep clicking on it. I understand we get, like, apparently some kind of... Uh, Every time, it's like a slot machine. You keep clicking, we keep getting the money. A German man doused his BMW with gasoline and torched it today in protest at skyrocketing fuel costs. The unemployment 30-year-old, unemployed 30-year-old man drove his uh, black 1995, well, there you go, 13-year-old car, BMW 3 Series sedan, plus in Germany and Berlin, they're like, I don't know, common. Uh, onto the lawn outside Frankfurt's convention center grounds at about 7.30 a.m., according to uh, police spokesman Carl Hens Wagner. He then jumped out, emptied a canister of gas over the vehicle, and set fire to it. By the time the fire department got to the scene, the car was entirely burnt. The uh, Bavarian man, whose name was being withheld because he's not been charged with a crime so far, told police that gas prices were so high he can no longer afford to drive the vehicle. As in many countries, gas prices have ridden steadily in Germany. A liter of regular gas now costs about a 1.55 euro, or about $9.40 a gallon. Police were investigating whether the man could be charged with violating German environmental laws with the stunt. Uh, penalties range from fines to five years in prison, so we'll keep our eyes on that. But... We have these people now dousing things, not quite like that monk who doused himself with gasoline during the Vietnam War and lit himself on fire. But still, we got people lighting shit on fire, so it's time to pay attention. Thanks to some text message-savvy grandchildren, North Carolina drivers 
whose license plates have the potentially offensive WTF letter combination, may replace their tags for free. So what's happening in Raleigh, North Carolina, is that some grandkids see that their grandparents have a license plate that says WTF 5397, and they say, oh, Grandma, that means what the fuck on the Internet. And they, they weren't insulted before, but now they are, now that they know what it means, <laughs> because we're always looking for shit to you know offend us. They run to the government and they go, how dare you issue these letters when every nine-year-old knows what it means. The News and Observer of Raleigh reported today that the State Division of Motor Vehicles has notified nearly 10,000 holders of license plates with that particular letter combo. Officials learned last year that the common acronym stands for a vulgar phrase in email and cell phone text messages. But this week, DMV officials got another surprise when they learned that the same letters appeared on the agency's own website in their sample personalized plate. I can't believe it. DMV Commissioner Bill Gore said when asked about this online glitch, obviously I didn't know it was there because who fucking cares? He was thinking but didn't actually say. Officials are working to remove the sample plate. The WT5505 used on the website sample plate was the first random letter combination available. When the DMV switched from the blue to red-lettered plates, DMV spokeswoman Marge Howell received the sample plate WTF5506 to use as a prop for news stories and about the switch. 60-year-old technology teacher from Fayetteville complained about the plate last July after her teenage grandchildren clued her in. Before that, she couldn't care less. When gas prices uh, hit $4 a gallon, the staff at Dr. Keith Leonard's dental office in Arlington, Washington, figured it was time to pony up since more than half the dental assistants and office staff own horses. Today, the crew saddled up and rode into work. We decided that when gas got to $4 a gallon, we'd all ride in. Ten riders and two bicyclists met up at Leonard's home about four miles north of his office for the commute. City officials in Arlington, located about 50 miles north of Seattle, granted them a special permit to ride as a group. We can't dictate how much oil companies charge, but today we're not buying, Leonard said. We're using one horsepower. Leonard said the ride was a way to encourage his patients to use alternate forms of transportation. So there you go. We got wackos on the highway with horses. We got wackos in front of the uh, Frankfurt uh, um, Convention Center. And let me tell you, man, I've been to that fucking place, and it is, wow, it is like a small city. And at any given time, there's like a million fucking people there. It's big. It's like the oldest convention center on the planet. And I'm not, I'm not even exaggerating this time. It's like th- fucking 400 years old or something. The mayor of Greeley, Colorado, has a temporary restraining order against him after he was accused of throwing a 15-year-old boy to the ground when the teen refused to stop riding his motorbike. Mayor Ed Clark, who now must stay at least 100 yards away from the boy, told the Greeley Tribune, that he stopped the boy for his own safety and didn't hurt him. He said he'll fight the restraining order because he apparently wants to get close to the kid. The boy's father plans to ask the judge to make the restraining order permanent. 
He said uh, Clark forced the boy to the ground, held him there until police arrived. Police t- then gave the kid a ticket. What were they going to do? It was the mayor holding him down. The father said Clark should be charged with assault. Police spokeswoman, uh, spokesman Joe uh, Tim Cowich said that uh, an investigation was uh, ongoing. Stitt said uh, that his son and Clark had been at odds for weeks after his son had a dispute with the mayor's wife. 15-year-old had a something bad words with the wife, and then Clark, the mayor, confronted the kid on a, alone when he was on a basketball court and said bad things are going to happen. <laughs> so either this kid's been watching too much of Godfather movies or this mayor is fucking drunk with power. Which one do you think it is? Finally this evening, it's the case of the non-existent ninja. Uh, Public schools in Barnegat, New Jersey, were locked down briefly after someone reported seeing a ninja running through the woods behind the elementary school. You heard me correctly. A kid, apparently an eighth grader, walked in and said, hey, I just saw a ninja in the woods. They ran to the wall, pulled the you know ninja alarm, whatever they got, and the whole school system shut down. Turns out the ninja was actually a camp counselor dressed in karate garb and carrying a plastic sword. The um, uh, police said that uh, he was late to a costume-themed day at a nearby middle school. The lockdown began shortly after 9 and lasted until 9.30. So at least these people, and this is, uh, you can give credit to George Bush and the 9-11 team um, for making us ninja ready in this country. When the call comes out, when a kid comes in and says, I just saw a ninja in the woods, and we should have similar programs going for when they see, you know, unicorns, Russians, you know, all kinds of shit. Be prepared. That's what I say. When you climb into your bed tonight and you lock and you bolt the door, just think of those out in the cold and dark. Uh, Because there's just not enough love to go around. When you climb into your bed tonight And when you lock and bolt the door just think of those out in the cold and dark Cause there's not enough love to go around And sympathy is what we need, my friend And sympathy is what we need And sympathy is what we need, my friend Cause there's not enough love to go around No, there's not enough love to go around Now half the world hurts the other half And half the world has all the food And half the world lies down and quietly starves Cause there's not enough love 
And sympathy is what we need, my friend. And sympathy is what we need. And sympathy. Curiously guitarless, rare bird on jest to radio. Half the world hurts the other half. Half the world has all the food. Half the world lies down and quietly starves because there's not enough love to go around. You've been listening to the ravings of a clown this Friday, June the 27th, the year of our Lord, 2008. Extra special thanks go out. To all those that stop by the Jester Radio chat room, Texas Frank, Lulu, S. Poe. Um, please remember to be impeccable with your word. Don't take anything personally. It's not about you. It's, it's usually about me, in fact. Don't make assumptions and always do your best. That's the most important thing. And remember, we will meet in that place where darkness never comes. That's my solemn oath to you. And until that time, Hustis. In the calling out of one another, of the lovers up and down the strand, and the sound of the waves, and the sound of the seabirds circling the sand, and the fragments of the songs carried down the wind from some radio, and the murmuring of the city in the distance, ominous and low, I hear the sound of the world where we played, and the far too simple beauty of the promises we made. But if you ever need holding, call my name. If you ever need holding, I'll be there, sky blue or black. Good night. See you calling out to one another and the lovers up and down the strand. In the sound of the waves and the cries of the seagulls circling the sand. In the fragments of the songs carried down the wind from some radio. In the murmuring of the city in the distance, ominous and low. I hear the sound of a world where we play, and the far too simple beauty of the promises we made. If you ever need holding, call my name. If you ever need holding and no holding back, I'll see you through sky.
Really don't mind if you sit this one out. 